diary. Oh, Reginald and I had a beautiful time on our date tonight. Holding hands, eating pastries, drinking the rain right from the puddles. Oh, and he gave me the most beautiful gift. Stickers from StickerNinja.com. He even customized it by using a photograph I took of him standing on a turtle last summer. They can use any image you like, diary. And when we stuck them to the damp walls of the veranda, they didn't peel at all. And he assured me that when the sun shines down on us tomorrow, the stickers shan't fade. Ooh, and best of all, the money he saved by using the online discount code SPR10 and using Sticker Ninja's free domestic shipping, he's finally saved enough for a dowry. Father will be pleased. Oh, diary, I love my Reginald, and I love my StickerNinja.com, too. Sticker Ninja! Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Man, do I love that intro sequence. The giant space creature suckling on the warp nacelles gets me every time. Greetings from the USS Cerritos. This is Science Officer Lieutenant Commander Reese Hendrick, and for today's episode of Science Factual, we'll be checking in on the lower decks with guest human Cody Scoggins from one of my favorite establishments in the Alpha Quadrant, Growler's Tap Room. Now, usually we're locked in fierce battle during the weekly Star Trek trivia night hosted by Joe Rogers, proprietor of Growlers on 82nd and fellow nerd who we had on the podcast for episode 36 on Deep Space Nine. No, instead we met up there to dive into the awesome animated Star Trek series. So a major spoiler alert, spoiler alert, is going out across the Federation because although we don't get too far into any one episode or character arc, we do reference a ton of Easter eggs across multiple series in the franchise. So consider yourself spoiled by this alert. Star Trek Lower Decks is an American adult animated television series created by Mike McMahon for the streaming service CBS All Access, which was later rebranded as Paramount Plus as we continue to allow the powers that be to consolidate their enormous corporate sway over our everyday lives. It is the ninth Star Trek series and debuted in 2020 as part of an executive producer Alex Kurtzman's expanded Star Trek universe. Lower Decks is the franchise's first animated series since the 1970s series Star Trek The Animated Series, and its first comedic series. 
It follows the low-ranking support crew of the starship Cerritos, a California-class starship, beginning in the year 2380. In fact, the USS Cerritos is an updated version of the USS Reliant, the ship used to terrorize Kirk in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. The cast includes Tawny Newsom as Beckett Mariner, Jack Quaid as Brad Boimler, Noel Wells as Devon Attendee, and Eugene Cordero as Sam Rutherford, who make up a group of junior Lower Decks crew members of the Cerritos, with Don Lewis, Jerry O'Connell, Fred Tadasiore, and Jillian Vigman providing voices for the ship's senior officers. There are a ton of voice actors reprising roles throughout the series, my favorite being Armin Shimmerman as Quark in Season 3, Episode 6, Hear All, Trust Nothing, an episode where he actually used his teeth from his days on DS9 to voice act everyone's favorite unscrupulous bartender. Also, Hear All, Trust Nothing is the 190th rule of acquisition. Just a little tidbit for you, the next time you come to test your knowledge at the Star Trek Trivia Night at Growler's Tap Room on Southeast 82nd Avenue in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Trivia takes place Thursdays at 8 p.m. Oh, and thanks University of Idaho for randomly having all 285 rules of acquisition on their state-funded database. The nerds shall infiltrate their systems one server at a time. Now, the series features many connections and references to past Star Trek series, which we'll get into during the facts section of the episode after the interview with Cody. So, get your red shirts on for this totally safe away mission, and make sure to set your phasers to fun. <laughs> Whoops, looks like I had mindset to pun. I might just turn it on myself later. Maximum setting ought to do it. I'm not a huge podcast guy. Not a huge podcast guy. Well, you're on one now. Shit. Yeah, I know. Kind of missed the mark on that one. My life has just kind of started becoming much more podcasty lately. Literally, it's just podcast, podcast, podcast has just started rolling in on me. It's weird. Well, I mean, you know, podcasts are popular. They they started blowing up, you know, with the pandemic, uh, much like the topic I mean, that we're going to cover. Yeah, no shit. Which is Lower Decks. And folks, the voice that you hear other than my own, this is Cody Scoggins. Oh, goodness me. Hello, everybody else. Yes. Hello. Uh, thank you for being on, Cody. Not only are you a fellow nerd, because we met through the Star Trek trivia at Growler's Taproom on 82nd, but uh, you are also a bartender there. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good side hustle. I just do it uh, the one day out of the week. But, you know, it's it's fun. I like it. It was one of those things. I lived there long enough. I might as well just work there as well, too. Yep, that is, uh, that'll usually happen. Because, I mean, if you're going to spend your money there, you might as well make it there, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, or just run up such a large tab. You might as well just be working it off as opposed to actually. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had... A few jobs like that. <laughs> Largely, I, I managed a dispensary in Los Angeles that, with my youth. And I don't know if that's somehow sadder or less sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just working at a bar. I feel like mine's a lot more folksy. Okay, sure. I don't know. It was. Uh, it was. A, it was definitely a fun experience. Shout out Eddie awesome russian dude who on the spot was just like super chill and word i went in there and i saw that they had these sad little joints that were being rolled up with one of those zigzag machines that never oh yeah i know i know those and uh they were selling those for like a dollar fifty a piece and i was like oh let me roll your joints so i went in and got a half ounce of weed from them and a couple packs of papers and some uh, tips and rolled a bunch and came in and dude was like yeah i'll like pay you to roll these <laughs> and then I started doing novelty stuff like cross joints and, you know, like two 
tulips and lover's pipes, which is a giant tulip base with two joints sticking one out of either side. And you light the tulip and then you pass it back and forth and smoke this like crazy pipe looking I, I have joint thing. no fucking idea, man. Yeah. Like, aside from my Gandalf pipe and my glass yeah. and like the two bongs that I bought actually is just art pieces when I'm like 23 because that's what you do when you're 23. Mm. Like mm-hmm. just I I'm not a huge pot smoker. I do on occasion, but like I found it just doesn't do like as much for me as it used to. And I've mostly just smoked back in the day just to go to bed. So it was sure. like a huge deal. Well, that's where I'm at now. I mean, you know, like uh, granted, this was when I was 19. Oh, so yeah, no, this wasn't like last week. No, no, I definitely didn't think it was like last week, but like I, 19 also seems like a little young, but like wasn't the, the smoking age like 21 in LA? Yeah, at the time for medicinal, yeah. Oh, well, medicinal is a whole fucking other thing. If you got your fucking green card, I guess, yeah. Yeah, or maybe maybe I did use my fake ID to get... That my, definitely seems like a fake ID yeah, name, man. I, I think I might have used my fake ID to get my license. And then, well, yeah, because then when I went to... No, no, because it was my normal California license. That I know for sure, because it had a little picture of it on it. When I went to Europe later that for a gap year, people in Europe were like, you have a license to smoke weed? <laughs> that's fucking crazy what are you people doing in the awesome. fucking like, what is happening over there yeah like major things man major things and then we were just like ah fucking you just smoke weed yeah 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 but why why fucking bother with the gaff now it's just like yeah if you want to fucking trip on trims go for it man microdose that shit up dude i'm seeing ads for controlled ketamine at home dosage experience like <laughs> fucking that's wild like what like, it's, it's just it's getting out of control so, <laughs> cody uh how can we reach you on the internet do you I, want to be reached on the internet? I, I have nothing i don't do anything i i exist in the here and now cool. so far that I just don't fucking want to encroach on the internet. Mm, yeah. This is this is dangerous treading water for me. No, that's the end of what my toes, just this, this conversation topic my, or just the internet in general. Just the internet in general. Mm. My toes are <laughs> dipping off the raft right now. I'm enjoying it, but yeah. you know, I am gonna go on my own pace, but right now, no, nothing. Nothing. Sure. So definitely active on the tour dark web. Uh you can find Oh no, so, and so that's the other thing. I just am not good at like anything electronic at all ironically i'm okay. just not a, your bag no man i i'm a i'm a build you a fucking house i literally can build you a house from frame base plumbing electrical the whole fucking nine yards i can cut weld sew stitch whatever the fuck you want me to do but the second you try to explain binary to me, my brain just fucking goes out the window. Well, all of those aforementioned skills are incredibly valuable, especially for the impending collapse of society. Oh, yeah. No, dude, I'm prepped for the fucking apocalypse. Let's go. I am so fucking prepped. Uh, you know what, then? Uh, Absurd my... certain amount of agricultural knowledge as well, too. Meeting point, growlers. I mean, it, it's already it's already been discussed. You have to talk to Joe to see if it's okay to be okay. in the club. Well, I will make my appeal. Yeah. I am wearing his favorite hoodie. You, you, well, I, his is purple, but yeah, I get, yeah, no. Oh, his, this is blue. He's in the science division. Well, he has a blue one, but he, the one that he wears typically is oh. actually purple, mm. which is, I think he just got it because it was cheap and now he just wears that one regularly. Nice. Also, the badge is actually like a thick thing as opposed yeah. to just being like a pad. That's true. He does have an actual com badge and yeah. it is very sweet. Yeah. 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 So I think that's, that's why that's the one that he wears, mm. but. 
Yeah. I'm 100% down to just be that guy that just sets up for the apocalypse. Awesome. I just want to take lots of naps. That's it. Well, I can regale us with tales of Star Trek lore in the meantime. So how did you get started as a nerd? Like, what appealed to you the, f- the most as, so as a lad? So yeah, so I started off with fantasy full on. Okay. Like, it was my dream to play D&D at some point, but it was, again, for the fact of math that my whole brain was just, like, completely kowtowed. I have dyslexia and dyscalculia, like, the, the math side of dyslexia. Okay. Um, and so like I was reading Dr. Seuss until I was like 12 and it was one of those things. I just did it so frequently with so much repetition. Don't get me wrong. Like my parents helped as much as they could. I was in special classes for it and everything like that. My dad bought books just to try to help. But it was one of those things like it was so frustrating trying to get into that to grasp the information that I wanted because like when it came to like visual and auditory recall, I was on point. I had a huge lexicon growing up i could recite a number of things just from memory from actually like and this feels like a weird kind of brag thing but no it was just how it was just out of necessity of having to comprehend the material yeah just exactly but it was also one of those things like the second you put me in front of a times table i had a mental breakdown because Mm -hmm. i could my brain would not allow for the numbers to click but then after very frustrating it was extremely exceptionally frustrating But after a time, like, again, like, it was just through repetition and memorization. Like, I've learned English through pure uh, memorization of what the words are supposed to mean. Hmm. Yeah. So reading still takes a minute for me. Like, it's now I've got it down kind of good in a pattern sense. But, like, it literally is me just, like, actually sitting down and memorizing what that word is supposed to mean. Because for me, it's actually like the letters don't want to sit there. And every now and again, like I'll just look and try to read a word and my brain won't process it. And the exact same thing happened with math, too. It also came to the point where I literally memorized the times tables because I had to memorize the times tables. The the second you try to make me do long form uh, division, my brain, I can't. I just can't. But if you ask me what the answer is, I will just be able to tell you because I've memorized it. Right, because you know that nine times nine is eighty-one. Like, so you, if somebody's just like, "Hey, what yeah. nine times nine? Yeah. you can mentally access that yes. times table that you've like ingrained in your yeah, yeah. that and pattern recognition of uh, just like perfect. Yeah, and it, that's what it really is. And that sounds terrifying when it comes to somebody trying to build a house, but that's actually much more of an art than anything <laughs> a, else. A little bit. Well, so is that why fantasy and D&D kind of appeal to you? Because it, it, it lends to the imagination side of the brain more? Like- That's actually what it was. But it was more so when memorization of the words finally became a fluid enough for me, I started reading young adult fantasy young adult novels. Okay. And that was just because, like, I it, it was practice so that I could, you know, go to school and shit like that. And also because I was just fucking bored out of my mind. Um, As kids often are. Yeah. So I like I didn't have cable growing up and everything like that, but I would just I would sit down and memorize over and over and over again. And I would read whole pages over and over and over again to actually get the full fucking message of it. And it was fantasy that really just kind of like I gravitated towards the most. Don't get me wrong, like the the shows that we grew up with as kids were all over the place and intense. And I I loved a lot of it. It's kind of why I started liking 
like anime and stuff like that. Oh, I see your Invader Zim pin there on your on your BB. That was just a gift. Ah, well, it's it's pure aesthetic. Gotcha. Uh, don't get me wrong, I did like it for its it, it, it's very like off the cuff, disturbing tones. Growing up, I was a fucking little sociopath. But the, yeah, that makes two of us. Yeah, I no <laughs> like, like, like tree friends and all. Oh, that. oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, practicing young sociopath um <laughs> anyway but then like after a, uh after a long ass time it just became one of those things where i just it all just kind of clicked and all i had access to were these uh fantasy books and it was one of those things like the science fiction stuff like had so much more of this esoteric verbiage because with fantasy it's a lot more of just like they make the definitions themselves mm. so you have to interpret it a little bit but when it comes to sci-fi they focused so much more on broad spectrum, well-defined terms yeah. that they used it reliably as a new form of communication that my brain just would not grab onto. So fantasy was where it was kind of like it was a lot more poetic. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah so it, it definitely was, has that that feel to it in the way that stories are told or at least that exposition is delivered. Yeah. So to speak to that then, what was the first sci-fi that spoke to you? That was actually a very wild book. It's in a collection of series. It's called Ring World. I've never I, heard of it. Yeah, no. Insofar that it was written in a way where I could grasp it because it used simpler terms, but was focused heavily on sci-fi. It was actually based on the idea of there being a ring world, a world that was encircling a sun. I like like Halo-style ring? Yeah, like Dyson-style. Dyson yeah, okay. like it was a kind of Dyson sphere insofar that it actually used the energy of the sun to power itself because it, sure. was, it was a made contraption. But it was a literal ring that was encompassing the sun, and its whole function was to operate as a kind of trade port. Uh, there was multiple different civilizations on it, warring factions, because it, it encompassed a large-ass sun. Oh, I've, So there was more than enough room for multiple different, like, factional... Of course. The concept of something like that, the massive scale of an engineering project, yeah. like a sun-encircling ring or a Dyson sphere, is... I can't even imagine it. Yeah, the scope is actually, like, fairly incomprehensible to human scope. We don't have enough materials on Earth to even make something that would no, circle no, Earth. No, you know, but, like, that is that is exactly correct. It's one of those things like to make something to, capable of like encompassing the sphere of a sun. It was supposed to be like the width of Jupiter, too, because mm -hmm. the sun was a uh, a red giant. But it was a whole thing. And like they had mountains, they had and it was literally all of the landscape and topography was built off of debris and detritus from a surrounding space. Huh. Yeah. Uh, and it literally just gravitated into the ring and then grew up and then people started adding to it little by little. But it was also this thing like it was it was basically this 15 year old and it was just majority of it was his inner monologue. It was middle of the saga series of just a book that I decided to read. And I, did you build out and read the rest of the saga? For I couldn't I couldn't find any of the other ones. Oh, it was, it was a relatively well-received series, too, from, like, the middling research that I did. Ringworld? Yeah, Ringworld. Okay. Uh, the, the series absolutely was phenomenal, and it was my kind of, like, introduction into the sci-fi genre. Don't get me wrong. It was still a little too esoteric for me, so I only read it about twice uh, before I stopped. But I was also one of those people that 
as a child trained myself to sleep with my eyes open and that what yeah why so um i used to fall asleep inside of a kind of family den there was a bed inside of the den and that's where i would sleep growing up and my dad would watch tv because there was a chair there he would go and leave as soon as i fell asleep but sometimes i would just immediately wake up because i'm an i was an insomniac even when i was like four so i started watching things with my eyes open so that i could just watch the thing so that he would stay up while i was watching it so that i would not be asleep so he would turn the tv off and then that translated <laughs> into me trying uh reading until i fell asleep but readings in so far that my eyes were still open and then i would hallucinate and then the words would literally jumble while i was reading it and then i would wake up because i'm like this makes no sense and then i would wake up and I would read the same sentence over again, See, and then I would fall asleep, and then I would wake up, and I would read the same sentence over again. You'd read yourself into an open-eyed sleep trance? Basically. And I would do that for <laughs> about an hour almost every night, and then I would finally, like, pass out insofar that I was actually just, like, full-on passed out. Yeah. And then I would wake up in the morning fucking, you know. Go about your day, yeah. Yeah, go about my day. Who needs LSD when you have the power to read yourself into a trance? All right. Uh, so why don't we shift gears into Lower Decks, which yeah. is why we're here, which kind of came out at the perfect time, like right in that pandemic sweet spot. It, just as a refresher, Star Trek Lower Decks is an American adult animated television series created by Mike McMahon for the streaming service CBS All Access. It is the ninth Star Trek series and debuted in 2020 as part of the executive producer Alex Kurtzman's expanded Star Trek universe. Lower Decks is the franchise's first animated series since the 1970s series Star Trek The Animated Series and its first comedic series. It follows the low-ranking support crew of the starship USS Cerritos, the NCC-75567, which is a California-class ship, which was operated by Starfleet in the 24th century beginning in the year 2380. Yeah. Post next generation. Yeah, and it's cool that you they do little callbacks to the TNG, and they also show Will Riker captaining the Titan. Post Voyager, actually, too. Post Voyager as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because they get back in like seventy six. Tom Perry shows up in episode two and uh, season two. Yeah, I um. So admittedly, I I need to do a rewatch in the series because I power watched this and in, in preparation for this. And sometimes that included not paying full attention. Yeah, no, that show is definitely one of those ones that you actually have to. You have to. Yeah. You have to, because even in the background, there are so many references oh, and yeah. jokes in and of themselves, while just being funny inherently, have so many fucking references in them, too. Yes. Yeah. Just bam, bam, bam. Doing a Lower Decks trivia, you need to know every other Star Trek property, basically. Yeah. In order to get the deep cuts. You know, speaking of it being the first comedic animated series, it does stand alone because the first animated series is more like about the original series. Yeah. And it had that vibe of story arc and everything. It was basically just like if an original series episode were animated. So you can get away with so much more with an animated show now. I mean, especially how that's changed compared to the first animated series. Yeah. The one, one good example of that is actually... I found this out, uh, not in preparation for this, but just a little bit before we actually settled down for a time for this. An example of that is that they actually, even in the original show, they wanted to have the Cation or the cat people 
in that show. Yeah. But the logistics of actually setting that up for a live action setting was too hard. Yeah. So the first depictions of the Cations were actually in the 70s, like animated show. So when they came back to do the new animated show, one of the upper crewmen, uh, literally the head doctor, is a fucking Cation yeah. to Anna. And who is hilarious, by the way. Oh, yeah. It's like, if Bones had even less filter. Exactly. <laughs> she fucked Bones. Did she? Yeah. No. No, awesome. no, no. She's just fucked a lot of admirals. What am I trying to think of? True. But uh, speaking of Bones, we'll get to a very important set of Bones in a moment. Because much like all of the other incredibly deep cuts that are featured in the show... My boy Spock shows up in my favorite episode of the series. But I guess that brings me to my next question. Do you have a favorite episode? If I had to see what was my favorite episode, it's kind of hard. It's a little bit of a toss-up between the collectors. Mm, awesome uh, episode. Yeah. And then uh, specifically the recruitment booth episode. That's yeah. in season three. I don't know if you've seen I, it. I've rushed through season three. So I'm really bad with watching shows. I'll watch the last episode first and work my way backwards sometimes. Oh, I look up everything that I, uh, I watch before I actually watch it. I'm also like that insofar that I want to know what's going on with this before I get invested with it. Yes. Just so I, I know like things and how like they have emotional impact and lore impacts before they're even shown. Just so like, because I hate having to rewatch a show over and over and over again to get all the little details. Sure. Unless I've started from the ground up, there's only like one show that I've done that with. And that's a show on YouTube. It's just, a, it's called Thrilling Intent. Thrilling Intent. Thrilling Intent. Um, another fantasy like RP like show. I love Thrilling Intent. It has it sounds like Cruel Intentions or like Killer Instinct or one of those. Like it sounds like a nineties movie that no, it has Sharon Stone. In it, it. It's just one long RP session over like seven years now um, of just very delightful people uh, role playing a very very comedically. And they have little, like, panoramic characters and everything like that. I'm sorry, we're, we're rambling off. No, that's okay. I love a good tangent. But you had mentioned the Collector's episode. Is that the Kayshawn, His Eyes Open? The season two, episode two, where the Tamarian is... Yes, because I, yeah. I, I love the that's my Tamarians. That's my favorite episode. Too. Yeah, I love the Tamarians. Yes, I do too. And the references inside of that yes. one fucking episode so many. are so intense. When that season came out, me and Joe were just sitting there because Joe was just like, he kept pausing it every like three seconds and telling me all these things back in my early not knowing Star Trek days. Yeah. And just like pointing out all references and just telling me where they are, where they're coming from. And then just seeing, hearing Kalos's sex helmet. I'm yes. just like, that's goofy. And I love that. Which looks very Sauronian. It's extremely Sauronian. Yeah. I love are you kidding me. I thought it was great. And I could totally see Kalos fucking yeah, hard. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say sure. one dick to run your ball, but yeah. they <laughs> have to. He has to. Them all That's true. So it references Darmok, uh, the episode from TNG, season five, episode two, with phrases like uh, Temba, his arms wide, and yeah. Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. It's a classic episode. I mean, like, often heralded as one of the best, actually. Yeah. Patrick Stewart, of course, crushing it in his performance as per usual. And uh, then it shows Will Riker, like I said earlier, commanding the Titan, which is great continuity. Yeah. Yeah, much like how Rogue One bridges the gap leading up to New Hope. Like, exactly. I feel like Lower Decks, with all the references and the time setting that it's in, 
is so clutch in that respect, and I really love it for that reason. Well, it focuses on a time in Starfleet that I actually feel like is very underutilized, and that's literally what comes after Voyager. Mm-hmm. Because after Voyager, you had what Enterprise and yeah, and, uh, well, that was a uh, yeah, and then Discovery, group. right? Which yeah. was also which was it was also uh, back in time, right? And they went forward in time, but it right. was, I. I the thing about the future and looking towards the future is that I want to see the future. Well, the only thing you have between uh, after Voyager is Picard. So the only yeah. thing between Voyager and Picard is Lower Decks. Yes, and that with that coming out and everything along those lines, because it's so focused on trying to tell like a very character-driven story, you don't explore the cosmos in the same capacity. I mean, no, that's true. I, I haven't seen season two yet, so I can't. I, I I don't want to spoil anything for you. I'm at episode six of season two and having watched full episodes in earnest. Okay, so yeah. then yeah, it it takes place in an alternate reality and then back in time. Yeah, that's so does and scratch the itch, man. Mm. I want to see where these characters have laid the groundwork for what comes next. That was the beautiful thing about coming out of the original series into Next Generations, is you see what these people made and then where it went after there is a time scale. All we had were the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Which were, which were, you know, were fine. But when I want more. I want exactly. I, you know when I would love to have a mini series on or like a two episode like super episodes would be on how seven of nine joined the Fenris Rangers. Yes. That, that would, would be dope. fascinating. Yes. Right? That would be it, sick as fuck. It would absolutely be fascinating. Or like going back into the future, future, future. I want to see how the Gorn end up joining the Federation. That seems so fucking interesting. Yeah. I want to see how the Federation deals with the brain and trying to like or negotiations. I want to know what the Breen look like. No, we're never going to. It's it's the same thing with the Yodas. We're never going to know where they come from, uh, even in any kind of lore. Yeah, I shouldn't know what the Breen look like. Fair, okay. Some mysteries are just meant to meant to exist in perpetuity. <laughs> well, right, you are. Uh, so just wrapping up on Kishan as eyes open. The episode also features an interesting Easter egg from the original animated series from '73. The episode The Infinite Vulcan, uh, where Spock was cloned and turned into a giant Spock. Yeah, and the, the giant fucking skeleton. The skeleton that's yep. how the ceiling that lands on that one collector is being yep. a dick with the KLS sex helmet. Yep. But uh, So I have the comic book version of, the, like, accompanying to the 73 episode where Spock is kidnapped and brought to a genetic lab. Yeah. So all the deep cuts, like, I just love how expansive Star Trek is, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, no, uh, I bought Joe a couple of comics. One, uh, the sequel series that is to next uh, Deep Space Nine, where they actually show fucking Captain Sisko coming back. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, right? I want to read that right he's now. Exactly. He's got the verse four fucking issue. I want to stop. I already have Plagueis from him, so I will finish that and return it to him. Before. Has he given you the uh, the Q uh, situation or whatever? It is? No. It's a, oh, that's. The, the Q conundrum. The Q conundrum, yeah. yeah. Where Q and like three different other like extremely all powerful cosmic entities show up and they're just having a fucking spat. Hell and yeah. so they take the original series, uh, Next Generation, uh, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise, and they just, uh, no, 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 not Enterprise, but up to Voyager, and then they just slap them all together, and then they're all on different crews competing against each other. Awesome. It's so that fucking cool. fantastic. Yeah. No, uh, Joe has the book. Joe lent it to me. I gave it, I read it, gave it back to him, and then I went out and bought that fucking book. Hell yeah. It's a comic book. It's I'm, fucking awesome. I'm about to. I'm, I'll see if they have it at Cloud Nine. Yeah. Uh, or Excalibur. 
But so yeah, I mean, I love the cute. Cosmic Monkey Comics actually, I think has it. I think that's that's where I got mine. Who? Cosmic Monkey Comics. Oh, Cosmic Monkey. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, I'll check them out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what I would say is that there is an interesting dynamic to that insofar that if we're talking about TNG, how Q specifically interacts with these individuals, both as an arm of the continuum, as well as also being an extension of expressing himself. Yes. He's a genie. He's literally unlimited in his power and scope of being, yet still constrained by the laws and rules of a collective that he himself has to elevate himself to as a means of perpetuating his moral uh, divinity, really, but at the same time, still ending up feeling constrained and uh, restrained by. And that it's that very weird dynamic that he constantly has that when you see him in Voyager and the actual Civil War happens, you kind of get the feeling that a lot of the continuum felt extremely stifled. Yeah. Well, that was such an interesting framing device, too. I, I really enjoyed those episodes. And Lady Q. Forty Q. Forty Q. You know, I, um, what is that actress's name? I do not ask me actors' names. <laughs> that would get anything out of me. I'll just say that the only actor that I can recall off the top of my head consistently that is in Star Trek right now, or specifically for the topic of this conversation, is Tom Kenny repeatedly showing up in uh, Lower Decks. Yes. Which I'm just, I'm loving that Tom Kenny is branching out of SpongeBob and just, he's going full out of Nickelodeon spectrum. Love it. Yeah. Love to have him. Come on in. The water's warm. <laughs> Come on in. The water's warm yeah. because you're peeing in it. Yeah, that's true. I usually do. Um, and that's Susie Plaxton. She plays... Um, she plays a Vulcan scientist. Yeah, doesn't she play the... Uh, Andorian and uh, 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 Commando in Enterprise. No, I'm thinking of the other... Because there's one uh, lady who specifically plays, like, one of the Klingons. She's also, yeah, like, a heightened, uh, like, human who specifically was modified... One of the modified humans. Well, she does play Kalar, who is uh, Worf's... And uh, who's Alexander's mother. Right. Okay. No, no, no. So then it is the same lady. Okay. okay. It is the one yeah. thing. She's in fucking everything. She, in. She's in four series. Yeah. In Star Trek. The yeah. only other person who's got her is Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Shout out Jeffrey Combs. Which I love that he shows up specifically in that show as just uh, Agamemnon. No. Uh, Agamemnon, the, uh, the sentient evil computer who wants to take over the entire cosmos, which... You haven't finished season three, or if you no, have... Not, uh, not truly, no. Okay. Does, does so, Q make an appearance in Lower Decks? Uh, yes, but only in season one, and then... Uh, I don't ask that. Well, he uh, it's either season one or season two. I'm pretty sure it's... Because it's extremely early on. Because okay. he literally just shows up to fuck with the bridge crew as an excuse to take them out of the equation. And then uh, he shows up later on in the exact same episode, and literally when the Lower Decks are just like... No, Q, we're not fucking dealing with you right now. Just go away. And he's just like, come on, I want to test you guys. It's like, no, we're not dealing with you right now. I'm go away. It was John Delancey, I'm assuming. It was 100% John Delancey. Uh, what was interesting is, is that Agamus uh, shows up at the end of Peanut Hamper's episode. Because that in. Love uh, Peanut Hamper. Yes. Uh, my my favorite Exocom. Exocom <laughs> in season three. I, that's the reason why I love this period of Star Trek. Like, post everything else is because they put all these fucking things on the table the yeah. past three series 
that don't get fucking touched at all, even calling back to the Enterprise show, with having fucking Orions just yeah, just in the, Federation. in the Federation. I know, it was so crazy to see. The Orions are one of my all-time favorite fucking races, not because of green girls, but because of actually just they're an interesting fucking race. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, having, like, an Orion be there and then also, like, talking about Orions. I'm like, fucking Orions, man. Well, the interest, I, I like the episode where um, Mariner rewrites Boimler's program uh, into the movie. Yeah. And she's like, you're an Orion, you're a pirate, this time the third, like, you know, stereotyping her. And, and she's like, yeah. no, like, could you please stop? Like, yes. not all Orions are, I mean, yes, the Orions are pirates, but like, I'm not one. So can you stop with that, please? What's interesting <laughs> is that that kind of her Orion heritage is touched more deeply on twice more with any level of like character plot related depth. One is when she's actually picking up a weird statue with Ta'ana. Uh, for Ta'ana uh, and Merit uh, with Mariner. And that one, she actually ends up going to an Orion smuggling world and using all of her fucking knowledge. And it's just also like, it's very interesting because she knows how to play the Orion game. She knows how to play it exceptionally well to the point where even when they go into the DS9 episode, literally, she just uses all of her pirate knowledge to completely take over a fucking ship also single-handedly like a badass and it's just it's so interesting seeing like that dynamic of her having all of these skills that she refuses to utilize except when it's absolutely necessary because that's just not how she identifies herself yeah, but i like the orion so i wish it would happen more it's a great dynamic i mean it, and it kind of shows the complexity of an otherwise you know kind of like typecast character if you will yeah yeah and I mean, you know, Lower Decks, it, it is so pervasive. Like, we have Quark and Sulu being voiced and, like, Deanna Troy and Leah Brahms, like, Kieran Reese. I mean, like, there's so much going on. It's awesome. Like, I really do love it, and I'm going to give it the attention it deserves because it, it requires a rewatch, for sure. Yeah, it absolutely does. It's one of the few shows that actually is extremely rewarding on the rewatch. Not necessarily for the characters themselves, but the references to the show by and large itself. Word. So, do you have a favorite character? That one is a little bit more tricky. It is a loaded question. No, because so I I, I would honestly say that my favorite character. It's gonna saying which character is my favorite character is difficult because there are a lot of great aspects to every single character. Sure. Which and this entire com uh, conversation piece right here is just more of me having a kind of fail safe here because a little bit justification. I like Rutherford. Okay. Yeah, I love Rutherford, but he's probably the most shallow character, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because he's the most self-actualized character uh, in the yeah. entire show. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. He's written in a way where his self-actualization is non-existent because it's actually a built persona for him. Well, so it's interesting you say that because part of that could be his implant programming. Oh, honey, honey, shh. That's, yes, that's season three. Oh, okay. Well, this, well, yeah. then the writing's on the wall. I mean, yeah. that whole thing when Tendi and him, want to, when she wants him to watch the Pulsar with her. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay, well, I'll just switch up my whole career 
to be able to do that because otherwise they're going to be in the Jeffrey tubes. Talk about self-realization. He goes through literally every branch of Starfleet. Joins the bear pack. It, yeah. <laughs> it goes back to, you know, what, where he was at. I mean, it's, yeah. It, so, yeah, I can see that for that character. Yeah. I'm going to have to go on a tangent here on my own here because you're, that's untreaded water for you. But do you care about spoilers at all? No. Okay. I, I, yeah. My, like I said, I've already backwards for so, it. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the episode where he likes pears all of a sudden and she wants to rip out his brain to work on it because he likes pears and that means that he must have something going wrong with his, his like... No, I haven't gotten to that else. one. No. Okay. Well, uh, so that's in season two. Okay. Um, but that's actually a plot development for the idea that specifically who he was before the implant is entirely removed and that the persona of Rutherford is not the original persona. Huh. That's not who he was prior to this, aside from his exceptional knowledge of starships and how they work. Mm. That was 100% a given. Before that, he was more of this, like, hot rod, uh, like, adrenaline junkie who was kind of a douchebag because he cruised around trying to pick up chicks. But also, he loved pears. He had these dynamic uh, opinions about shit like that. And it's these little things that whenever there's a glitch going on with his visor, it's literally the alternative personality and the original personality of the body trying to shine through. Interesting. Yes. And they have a whole episode about that in season three. He literally regresses back into his brain and has a full on like a starship racing battle with himself in order to actually like do it. And it, it leads into spoilers for the ending of season three. Okay. But you saw well, the end of season three. Yes. But I will we'll leave it though at that because it could frame it differently for me. That's so, very true. Yeah. But what I would say is that when it comes to actually speaking about Rutherford as a person, mm. because his personality is so grounded in the perspective of him being complicit with the world around him and being so agreeable and likable, but also being capable of forming his opinion, it's one of those things like it's hard to express the dynamic nature of that simplicity when it comes to the backlog of what is really him. We know what's coded, but we don't know if this is just his own subconscious mentally coping with the concept of being a programmed identity. Yeah, I, I think that when he was co-programmed, the strongest part of his personality was melded in, i.e. his love for starships and his intrinsic knowledge. And, and that and was entirely it. That was, and then these little bits of the subconscious keep bubbling up. That's an interesting take for sure. So I look forward to, like I said, like giving like back half of season two into the end of season three, the attention that it deserves. Me, I'm more of a mix of Meritor and Boimler, I'd say. It depends on how much Romulan ale I've had. I love both those characters. I genuinely do. I think they're both very good characters. Um, what I would say is that Mariner is not a realized, well, she's a realized character, but she's not a realized Starfleet member until the end of season three. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Because Mariner is not a good Starfleet officer. Not she, at all. Just not. She almost shouldn't she's, be one. Yes. No, she'll be, I, she's so much more of a fucking, like, a ranger. She just yeah, totally. wants to go do her own thing. And But it's, it's because her entire character is based in off the coding of her being a problem officer and having issues with her mother and Starfleet as a whole, that it then becomes one of those things. They talk about it 
regularly, so frequently that she's constantly struggling under the gap, that she's constantly having to work to live up to her mother's expectations while also fighting against her mother's expectations for a yep. number of different reasons. Sure. And constantly trying to push the envelope to what she believes makes Starfleet a better place that she doesn't recognize that when it comes to Starfleet in and of itself, it is a military operation. It is a structured organization with a single focus and goal that has so many offshoots and uh, like it's it, she's literally a character based around the meta knowledge of what Starfleet is. Hmm. That's what both those characters are meant to do. Yeah, one definitely. is the one yeah. is the dewy eyed like appreciation for everything that Starfleet is. Yeah, and the other is the like if I'm put into Starfleet, this is what I do because I know what the hell things are going on. But because they operated with that mindset for both those characters in the beginning, that they then had to kind of redirect and rewrite those characters to facilitate what Starfleet is and what being in that universe is and how to operate inside of it. That's why at the end of season three, Mariner also has one of my all-time favorite fucking scenes in the entire series. So does Boimler, but that uh, we'll get to that in a second. But with uh, Mariner, she literally brings every single California class fucking ship to deal with this one Texas class ship. Fuck you, Texas. Um, yeah. The class ship. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start a fight with fucking Texas. Right no, massive Texas. Yeah. Well, that's I, I, you know, conversation for later. Um, <laughs> my money's on Hawaii. Um, but every single California class starship showing up. It cemented my fucking love for the California class above any other. Lower class ain't going to fucking show up to help out anybody else. Only California class is going to do that. Riding top. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those things. It's just like I enjoyed that whole fucking scene because it's it's the rallying call. I'm a slut for the rallying call. The Cerritos is a scrapper, too. Yeah, no, it is. But it's also the enterprise of the California class. And mm -hmm. it's recognized as that. And when it comes into season three, it's like you guys have done. You guys have went to war with the past. Lids. Yep. You guys have dealt with Q. You guys are in oh, do doing so much that's, shit. That scene when the Packlids have their grappling hook on the tail end yeah. and then they go to warp and just scatter themselves across. Exactly. It's so like. It's oh, visceral. What the right? fuck? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Packlids. They want to be strong. Since the beginning, the entire thing is, is that they're repeatedly and constantly underestimated because they're so dumb. But there's such a fucking force of nature because of how stupid and durable they are. Like, you just can't reason with them because they're stu too stupid to be real at uh, reason with and they're too fucking durable to die when they're supposed to uh in season two there's just a fucking backlit in the fucking vacuum of the space just because he yeah because he went into a fucking uh the hatch Oh. Uh, yeah, just a hatch out into space to go to the bathroom. And what he, he was pressing the flush button and it just <laughs> shot him out into space. And then he's just fucking, it had to have been for at least a couple hours, but he's just fucking completely frosted and able to be revived. And he's perfectly fine. They're the tardigrades of the galaxy and they're too goddamn powerful to not just die when they're supposed to. Sounds like a QAnon and conspiracy theorist. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's all. Yeah. Anyway, but then, sorry. And then jumping back to Boimler, I love Boimler specifically. His, my favorite scene of his is in the final episode of season three because 
he recognizes when it's he has the actual confidence and it's framed insofar that he himself thinks he's being reckless. But because he started with such a place of intelligence and willingness to do the correct thing, that it just forms being vocal about what he thinks is the correct decision, that he actually stops and goes, everybody, shut up. And he tells that to the entire bridge crew. And then says, Jax, what did you say? And he's just like, we should adjust the warp core. And then they're like, yeah, he always says we should adjust the warp core. And that's a brilliant idea. Oh, my God. And then there's this beautiful fucking scene where Shax, for three fucking seasons, finally gets to realize the dream of being the security officer to actually go and run the And, like, the entire crew recognizes how big of a thing this is for specifically Jax that they actually live all halls clapping for him. In the middle of this life-or-death scene, just because they're happy for him to be able to actually do the thing and have it make sense to be the thing to do, that he's just crying and he gets to the engine room and then just ejects the warp core and it works. Love a big Bajoran too. Oh, you got. Uh, I mean, he he's he's a big Shax, player for a reason. Shax is awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to, like I said, getting caught up, and then season four because a ten episode uh, fourth season was ordered in January of last year, and writing began in April of last year with voice recording beginning uh, shortly after in June. So it should be coming out either late this year or early next year. I'm so excited because yeah. I genuinely like this show. Yes, me too. Yeah, it's a good show. And I'm glad that we got to hang out and talk about it because otherwise we talk about a lot of other Star Trek at the weekly trivia that takes place here at Growlers Thursdays at 8 p.m. Yeah, Growlers Tap Room off of 82nd and Morrison. Yes, and uh, you are House Grilka, if I'm not mistaken, or that's, have you? That's the typical name that I've, uh, I've been using for years, but I've decided to acquiesce to my uh, other teammates in order to be more facilitating towards okay. their naming scheme. So what are, you, what are you going with now? Uh, literally anything under the sun. We're just kind of free-balling it right now, but you can identify me by being the one sitting in the corner. That's true. That is Cody's quarter. It's very Cody, cozy corner. Cody, that's true. I was going to say it's very cozy over there. Well, um, I will be, of course, representing Lumba's Bar. Every time. Every time. That's what, that's the way we do it. I'm wearing my Quark's Bar shirt as we speak, so only... Well, it's underneath the it Star Trek uh, hoodie, so... That's true. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get there. No, I'll, we'll get there. We're gonna... I'll, I'll pop this off eventually. Please do. I'm sitting in your car and you're... That's true. I know. I mean, you've been at, we've been asking for it all this time. All right, well, folks, then we got to go because we're going to go pop this top off. <laughs> Thanks, Cody. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again, Cody, for meeting up to talk Trek with me. See you at the next trivia night. Kapla! Alrighty, I've got a nice piping hot cup of Ractagino, so let's get into some of those Easter eggs Cody and I were talking about, because there are a plenty. Take just the first episode of the first season alone, for example. When Mariner rattles off a bunch of references to the larger canon of Trek, she also drops an interesting Easter egg, which, in a sense, is an Easter egg that works twice, maybe even three times. Here's why Mariner's joke right at the very end of the first episode of Lower Decks is so layered and why it totally makes sense that Boimler is in the dark on this one. After Boimler and Mariner become best buds at the very end of the episode, Mariner launches into a list of quirky Star Trek facts, which for her are basically just facts from the history books. 
Do you know about Spock, she says, grabbing Boimler by the shirt. Dude came back from being dead. After that, she talks about my man Worf and name checks Kirk and Deanna Troy, too. But the best joke comes when Mariner asks Boimler if he's heard of someone else. She asks about somebody named Gary Mitchell, who Boimler is sure he could look up. Seems random, but if you're a hardcore fan, you know that Gary Mitchell, who is played by Gary Lockwood, was a member of the USS Enterprise crew in 2265, and that in the episode Where No Man Has Gone Before, he was zapped by the barrier on the outside of the galaxy, developing super psionic powers, became a jerky space god, and was eventually buried under a rock by Kirk. On top of this, Gary was previously Kirk's best friend. Where No Man Has Gone Before was the second pilot of the original series, and unlike The Cage, it's the pilot episode that sold the show. Mariner referencing the pilot episode of the original series in Second Contact is funny in part because on some level the episode was Star Trek's own Second Contact, or Second Pilot, if you will. Gary Mitchell is kind of a deep cut, mostly because he only appears in one episode, and despite it being the second pilot of the original series, it's not generally anyone's favorite episode or particularly memorable. The episode also has some odd canonical quirks, including the implication that Spock's ancestors mated with humans, a different bridge crew of the Enterprise, Sulu wearing blue, and no Uhura or Bones. Basically, a Gary Mitchell reference is a wink-wink, nudge-nudge to the idea that Star Trek canon is a little bit messy and always has been. Why this is funny is that when Boimler says, I could look him up, it implies that he hasn't heard of Gary Mitchell. And guess what? In canon, that actually makes sense. The fact that Mariner knows about Gary Mitchell means that she's really into 23rd century history because really nobody in Starfleet should really know about Gary Mitchell. And that's because Kirk low-key falsified his captain's log in Where No Man Has Gone Before. At the end of the episode, Kirk says Dr. Daner and Gary Mitchell both died in, quote, the line of duty, but does not mention that they were turned into wacky telepathic mutants with Professor X-style powers. Nor does Kirk happen to mention that he actually killed Mitchell. So, the Starfleet official record reflects the fact that Gary Mitchell died in the line of duty, which means that Mariner is probably unaware that Gary Mitchell turned into an evil space god. This means that Gary Mitchell is not famous to students of Starfleet history, which is why it makes sense Boimler had never even heard of him. This joke also means that Second Contact begins with a falsified captain's log, the pretend one recorded by Boimler, and then ends with a direct reference to Kirk's falsified captain's log in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Basically, the best joke in Lower Decks Episode 1 poked fun at super unreliable captain's logs and the fact that we probably aren't being told the whole truth from these logs. Captain Freeman asks Boimler about his logs, and when he says he records five a day, she says, that's excessive. I mean, think back on how many Kirk recorded in any given random episode of the original series. At least five, if not more. That's true, Kirk do be logging. My thanks go out to Ryan Britt from SciFi.com for the extra nerdy rundown on that layered Easter egg. Looking at the rest of the season, we have to talk about Mariner's impressive stash of contraband, some of which includes a Tribble from The Trouble of Tribbles. Mariner later says that she uses it for, quote, personal reasons. In there, you can also find a bottle of Klingon blood wine, not to mention some Romulan ale from time to time in the mix, a Klingon batleth, and a Spock helmet. This helmet is based on a toy from the 70s produced by AHI, or Azrak Hamway International. For years, fans have pointed out the helmet has nothing to do with Spock or Star Trek, despite the fact that it was sold as a real Star Trek toy. 
Ethan Peck jokingly unboxed one of these vintage Spock helmets in December 2019 on StarTrek.com. The fact that Mariner has one of these helmets as quote contraband seems to imply the Spock helmet is canon. Other than Zahn, this easter egg might be Lower Deck's deepest cut. Speaking of Zahn, when Mariner tells Boimler that she didn't think he was going to make the final cut of her holodeck movie in episode 9, Crisis Point, she points out that she considered his role in the movie as kind of a Zahn. When Boimler asks, who's Zahn, Mariner responds, exactly. Yes, that's right, a ton of Trekkies have never even heard of Zahn, myself included before this research, and that's for a very good reason. Zahn is a Star Trek character who never actually appeared in a Star Trek movie or TV series, but at one point he was very much going to be a major character in a rebooted Trek TV series called Star Trek Phase 2. This character was real enough to even have been cast, too. If you search the dark recesses of the internet, you can even find photos of Zahn rocking a gold TOS command uniform. He's a Vulcan with a feathery, dreamy 70s haircut that feels closer to Apollo from the 1978 Battlestar Galactica or your boy Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. Although Zahn was a Vulcan, he was definitely no Spock. <laughs> hey now, don't you put your baskets away just yet, for there are plenty more Easter eggs to collect. Also, as a side note, I'm a serial rewatcher and will definitely need to rewatch this series, as the meager morsels of Easter eggs I'll be elaborating on are just the ones that I've noticed and other nerds have written about on the internet. So definitely do yourself a favor and scour the lower decks for the many, many references made throughout the series. So far. Remember, there's season 4 coming out later this year sometime. In the meantime, season 2 brought an onslaught of references, like these ones. We all remember how Tasha Yar was killed by an alien being called Armis in a rather unexciting fashion on Season 1, Episode 23 of The Next Generation, Skin of Evil, but as Lower Decks showed in The Spy Humongous, Mariner finally gets revenge for Tasha by prank-calling the tar monster and making fun of him. Oh no way! This is a submanifold casting stone! A what? We can use it to broadcast our voices to other planets. What's that good for? <laughs> yeah, like, what are we gonna do? Prank-call Armis? <laughs> I wish I had someone to torture. Hey, Armist! <laughs> you, uh, you look like a big bag of crap. Who said that? Show yourself. I am Armist. This is my domain. Yeah, we already know you're Armist, dummy. Come and find us. We're touching your stuff. What stuff? Stop that! When I find you, I'm gonna kill you with a flake of my power. I am a skin of evil. More like a puddle of <laughs> Damn you! When Captain Freeman is denied access to the Starfleet Command Conference after-party in An Embarrassment of Duplers, she is doubly upset when she learns that the night's entertainment is none other than DJ Okona. Trekkers would know the now-famous DJ as Thaddean Okona from the Star Trek The Next Generation episode The Outrageous Okona, where the character, played by Billy Campbell, is introduced as a freighter captain who drags the crew of the Enterprise into a feud between two planets. Clearly something has happened to Akona since the last time he was seen, since he now rocks an eye patch. I mean, he probably lost it fucking his way through the Alpha Quadrant, which is pretty rad. Star Trek fans love to debate which of the 13 movies are the worst, but undoubtedly no one will rush out to defend Star Trek V The Final Frontier as the best film, being that it is almost universally hated by fans of the franchise, myself not included. Tupac fucks with Cybok too. Just check out the intro to his track, Pain. Classic. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. 
Share it with me. But that hatred didn't stop Lower Decks from paying homage to Star Trek V in the episode Wedge Douge by having Tendi and Dr. Ta'ana climbing a holodeck version of El Capitan, the very mountain that Captain Kirk is climbing at the beginning of the film. Adding to it, Boimler shows up wearing the same Go Climb a Rock shirt Kirk is wearing in the scene, and he's wearing the rocket boots Spock shows up in to speak to Kirk on the mountainside. Now, a lot of TV shows have characters who show up for a few episodes and seem to be set up to become more important, only for them to disappear. A famous instance of this on Star Trek The Next Generation was that of Sonia Gomez, who showed up in two episodes of the show's second season and was being set up as a love interest for Geordi LaForge before mysteriously vanishing from the storyline. Thanks to Lower Decks and the episode First First Contact, we now know that Sonia is the captain of the Archimedes, and that's what I like to call coming a long way from spilling coffee on Picard in engineering, which, to be honest, she really shouldn't have had coffee down there to begin with. Licia Naff, who first played the Ensign on The Next Generation, came back to reprise her role as Captain Gomez in Lower Decks. By the way, speaking of references, perhaps I should make the connection that Lower Decks may well have been inspired by The Next Generation's Season 7, Episode 15 of the same name, which takes a glimpse into the lives of four junior officers and the trials faced by those who make up the lower ranks of a starship like the Enterprise including apparently sacrificing yourself for a secret mission clandestinely operated by a defector from the same race that oppressed your people for decades in order to assist them in maintaining their cover. But such is the life of a junior Starfleet officer. Moving on to Season 3, creator Mike McMahon brings his love for the franchise to the forefront by packing in as many throwbacks into each season as possible. However, the throwbacks in Season 3 are bigger and better than ever, including an entire episode playing homage to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is super awesome. A list of the references in this season call back to important historical points in Trek canon as well. For instance, in an effort to prove Captain Carol Freeman's innocence in the destruction of the pack-led planet, her daughter Mariner and the rest of the gang head to Bozeman, Montana, the location of one of the most historic moments in Star Trek. This was where the legendary Zephram Cochran launched the prototype warp-capable vessel, the Phoenix Missile. Let's rock and roll! In 2382, the area had been turned into a reenactment theme park with several elements last seen in Star Trek First Contact, including a version of the infamous Crash and Burn Bar, a replica of the Vulcan ship that made first contact with Earth, as well as a holographic version of the genius and eccentric inventor himself. Okay, that wasn't so good. And the best part, the character is brought back to life by James Cromwell, who reprises his role from Star Trek First Contact. The premiere had another surprise waiting for fans. Just as it seems that Mariner and her friends have failed in their mission to exonerate Captain Freeman, the captain herself appears and explains how she escaped sentencing. Turns out a packlet data fabricator had implicated her in the planet's destruction and the information was found out through an aggressive Vulcan mind meld. And the architect of this mind meld was none other than Commander Tuvok. It's perfectly logical. But hold up, isn't Tuvok on Voyager, which is lost in the Delta Quadrant? Not anymore. Star Trek Lower Decks takes place in the 2380s, 2382 in Season 3, which is after Voyager had already returned to Earth. So while the character doesn't speak in the episode, it appears that Tuvok remained with Starfleet and also got a promotion to full commander. Harry Kim? Still an ensign. Hashtag Forever Ensign. 
In the second episode of the season, The Least Dangerous Game, Beckett, Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford enjoy some leisure time playing Batless and Bithnooks, a D&D-style role-playing tabletop game that involves dying with honor as a Klingon warrior. The host for this game is a recorded version of General Martok, voiced by J.G. Hertzler. Hertzler, who played many roles in the franchise, was a regular as Martok on Deep Space Nine. Martok was a Klingon warrior and a leader in the Klingon Defense Force during the Dominion War, who was eventually handed the chancellery of the entire Klingon Empire by none other than Maboy Worf. At any rate, as Boimler explains to Rutherford, Martok didn't actually record himself for the game. The recording is a Ferengi knockoff, undoubtedly recorded in one of Quark's holosuites on DS9, unbeknownst to the then-general. But the B&B dialogue is really well done, and Fig Martok makes an excellent game master. That's not quite the legacy befitting a badass like Martok, but hey, what are you gonna do? Don't tempt fate. Captain Freeman is seen terrorizing the Cerritos after being possessed by an alien mask. The mask may look familiar to eagle-eyed fans, as we've seen it before on the Next Generation episode, Masks. The Enterprise came across a comet that downloaded its entire cultural database onto the ship, slowly transforming the ship and its crew into beings from an ancient civilization. Data wears a mask similar to Captain Freeman's. Kogano. Fandom and merchandise go hand in hand, so it should come as no surprise that Star Trek ships include some of their own merch as well. Star Trek Discovery introduced casual wear for the crew that looks like plain blue jerseys with Disco, short for Discovery of course, emblazoned on the front. Lower Decks follows suit and we see Beckett and several other crew members sporting similar Ritos shirts, this time in an identical shade of blue. It doesn't quite have the ring to it as Disco, but they still look pretty cool. And these aren't the only couture throwbacks in the season. Rutherford is seen wearing an asymmetrical purple sweater that was worn by Jake Sisko, played by Siroc Lofton, on Deep Space Nine. The outfits worn by the Delanians in the second episode are reminiscent of the clothing worn by the Edo in the Next Generation episode, Justice. There's also an engineer crew member who's seen wearing the same visor as another engineer, Geordi LaForge. Cody talks a bit about Rutherford during our interview, who does have an interesting arc this season, as he learns that the cybernetic implants in his body may not have been completely voluntary. We find out about this during Reflections, an episode where Rutherford is confronted by his younger self. The two fight for control over Rutherford's body, and the younger Rutherford suggests they space race each other. Whoever wins gets control. They challenge one another to build a ship from scratch, Young Rutherford creates a unique racer, but older Rutherford creates the Delta Flyer. And why not? Tom Paris, who's played by Robert Duncan McNeil, built the ship with other members of the Voyager crew, and this ship actually did enter, and almost win, a space race. Rutherford even replicates the same racing outfit from the Voyager episode Drive, when Tom and Harry Kim, played by Garrett Wang, and later Belana Torres, played by Roxanne Dawson, join the race. You can't go wrong with a classic, especially when it's the Delta Flyer. There's a great reference to Sisko's restaurant with a teaser into a potential resolution to Captain Sisko's story arc from the end of DS9, but I definitely have to investigate the series Joe has that brings that canonical conclusion to light, which I can't wait to read. That in a stitch in time again. Love me some Garrick. Speaking of DS9, a series which Lower Decks shows a lot of love to during this season, we have to talk about Section 31. In Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus, Boimler learns that his transporter accident clone, William, died in a meaningless accident. 
But in a cliffhanger twist, we learn that William's death was faked by none other than Section 31. A mysterious figure hands him the agency's signature black Starfleet badge as a welcome. Section 31 is a clandestine organization that claims to work for the benefit of the Federation, but their methods are unorthodox and often unethical. Over several series, Section 31 has recruited the help of several Starfleet officers, oftentimes without their consent. Malcolm Reed, played by Dominic Keating in Enterprise, had dealings with them. Dr. Julian Bashir, played by Alexander Siddig, was also captured by the group while on Deep Space Nine. Two recurring crew members from Discovery joined the agency, Emperor Philippa Giorgio, played by Michelle Yeoh, and then Ash Tyler, played by Shazad Latif. Like Ash, William's death was faked, and then he was recruited. Gotta love a great Section 31 mindfuck. Again, can't wait to get a rewatch in the books to prep for Season 4, and doing so will probably make me want to watch even more Star Trek as I realize more and more layered references and callbacks. Fucking epic. Also, what I've covered doesn't even begin to scratch the surface, so go enjoy this awesome series for yourself. A lot of people ask me, what is the best way to watch all of Star Trek in a row? Well, here's a chronological breakdown of the watch order, excluding the Kelvin timeline. Starting with Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, because it takes place in 1986. Then we have Picard Season 2, because that takes place in 2024. First Contact, the eighth movie, taking place in 2063. Then we have the Enterprise series, followed by the original series episode pilot, The Cage. Then you go to Discovery Seasons 1 and 2, followed by Strange New Worlds, and Star Trek the original series in its entirety. You can then couple that with the animated series, which really just follows the original Enterprise crew anyway. Then we have Star Trek The Motion Picture, followed by the second movie, Wrath of Khan, and the third, Search for Spock. Then the aforementioned Voyage Home, if you want to watch the movies in their original release order. Up next we have The Final Frontier, everyone's favorite fifth installment of the movie series. Now, the general rule for a while was that the odd-numbered Star Trek movies were, let's say, not as good. Which is kind of true when looked at as a franchise. Because then we have The Undiscovered Country, which leaves us off of movies for a while as we dive into the Next Generation series for a few years followed by Deep Space Nine, two absolute bangers that I would be stoked to have on a desert island. The movie run does pick back up with Generations, the film that broke the odd-numbered movies curse, plus it features the death of Kirk, which is one of Shatner's best scenes, not only as an actor, but as Kirk as a character. We then jump quadrants back into TV land with the Voyager series, which we'll be covering with comedian Erica Figueroa in June. Very stoked for that plus the movies Insurrection, which was okay, and Nemesis, which was more okayer. And then we have Lower Decks. See all that homework you have to do before being able to truly point at your screen alone in the dark and say, hey, I remember that. After Lower Decks, you can wrap up with Picard Season 1 and then Discovery Seasons 3 and 4, which I will have to do some catching up on myself. Can't wait to watch Michael Burnham cry her way through the future. I'd like to thank my sources for today's episode, including Den of Geek, Sci-Fi, Ranker.com, IMDB.com, Fandom.com, CBR.com, Collider.com, and of course, Wikipedia. Because if it's on Wikipedia, it's probably there as a misinformation initiative employed by the Tal Shiar, who's really Section 31. Next week's episode has us grabbing our bootstraps and heading out to the Dust Bowl to cover the 1930s for this month's Decade Dive with Portland comedian Jocelyn Boyer. 
We met up after the paint and laugh comedy show where my wife Amanda and I got to participate in a hilarious showcase where comedians paint a ridiculous prompt along with you, the audience. In the spirit of St. Patrick's Day, we got to paint a leprechaun shitting gold coins into a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. We made ours so they could be hung together as a pair. Aww. Catch that episode airing Tuesday, March 28th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Download the free Shady Pines Radio app for Android or iOS for amazing content 24-7 or visit us online at ShadyPinesRadio.com and check out the incredibly talented folks that make up our humble radio station. For all things funny around town, make sure to check out LaughsPDX.com, your resource for comedy in Portland. Whether you're looking for an open mic to test your skills, shows to get your dose of the ha-has, or for awesome podcasts produced by local comedians, Laughs PDX is the best way to keep connected to the Portland comedy scene. Until next time, my fellow nerds, live long and prosper. Enough to have anything to lie to you about. You're Starfleet! Surely you must be briefed on every contingency. Yeah, I wish. The senior officers don't always have time to keep us up to speed. Hell, sometimes they don't even know what's going on. Impossible! Human lies! <laughs> you are the best of the best! <laughs> Your senior officers are always in full control! No, they're not. They mess up all the time. Like whenever Q shows up. Damn you, Q! Good luck solving my little puzzle, Bizami. Tell me now, can you prove that humanity is worth saving? I think not. (laughs) Well, he clearly wants us to play something. Ah, it's soccer. Okay. Oh! What's humanity all about? It's puzzle time. It's puzzle time. Any ideas? Anybody? Or half of Ransom's alien dates that he doesn't do any research for. (laughs) You are so funny, Marianne. How about we keep this party going in my quarters? Hey, hey, Jack. FYI, you're hitting on a salt vampire. Yeah, right. Nice try. Salt vampires died out more than a century ago. All right. Cool. Be safe. Come on, Marianne. Let's get out of here. I'll give you the tour of Casa de Ransom. You're making this up. Nah, I read all their logs. They're stepping in it all the time. Captain, Captain, someone is replacing everyone on the ship with imposters who claim not to know me. We might be in a parallel dimension. And you are? Uh, wait, is this, is this not the Cerritos? This is the Alhambra. Did you get on the wrong ship? They all look the same. Who the hell was that? Why are you doing this to me? I need you to tell me that your senior officers are infallible heroes. Well, they're not. And that's okay. We all joined Starfleet to dive headfirst into the unknown. We're explorers. Of course we don't always know what's going on. Did Picard know about the Borg? Did Kirk know about that giant Spock on Phylos? Did Dr. Crusher know about that ghost in the lamp thing from the Scottish planet that she hooked up with that one time? That whole thing. You clearly want us to say that the captain and her crew messed up, but we simply don't have the full story, and that's the truth. Whatever they did, I guarantee you it was all for good. You have shown no evidence that they're guilty of a crime. In fact, I find you guilty of trying to take them down with this sham of a trial. Drumhead! That little (gasps) Oh my gosh, I'm back! I just clicked myself back to normal. Let me just upload this. (laughs) 
Feels like an ice cream headache. Uh, okay, now I just need to get on that ship. Wait, no, it's too dangerous. He must be in a heroic bravery mode or something. Keep clicking your button. Let, let me click it. Click, click your button. No, Tendi, this is normal me. I've got this. And I've got you. Runner's You know, I can run on my own. Downloaded. Yes, 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 yes. Download slowing to a call. Wait, why? Sorry, but no virus until after these guys kill you. What? Why? Because you snapped my neck. What the hold up? Get it, Angie. We don't have time for this, okay? Do it now. You want me to disable their systems? Fine, I'll do it. Explosively! <gasps> He's gonna blow us out. Try to fire us. Something to scream about it. Ah! 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 Stop it! He's mine! 